Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Stay tuned till the end for information about the Uncommon Commons Patreon. Today's story is Kopfunda, written by Alex Vitale. you go. Ooh. Probably should have cleared that off first. Now, John, I know you probably can't hear me right now, but that's all going to change soon. Maybe. I've never actually done this before, that you know of. You know, you're not much of a conversationalist. It's actually kind of lonely when you're a corpse. Well, no time to waste like the present. Rise and shine. It's alive! I mean, um... John! You're alright! Check, check, one, two. Check, check, one, two. One, two. Sibilance. Sibilance. Well, at least your vocal cords are still intact. Jane, where did you get a xylophone? That is a bone saw. So the real monster was society all along. What are you- Oh, oh, there is blood leaking out of your ears. Just like Aspen! Maybe you should sit back down. Damn it! What would Kevorkian do in this situation? Someone could have hit a razor blade in your story. Or worse yet- Drugs. Oh! Great idea, John. I'll just read my story. Most things get wrapped up in 16 minutes anyways. Maybe you're not as scrambled as I thought. Step right up, step right up, don't be shy! Candle wax dripped persistently onto the worn wood of the desk. Its flame flickered sporadically as Klaus shuffled around his workspace. He leaned heavily over the desk, slowly and carefully winding together a frayed piece of copper wiring. His spectacles slipped down his thin nose, balancing precariously on the tip. His tongue, dry, was clamped tightly between his two front teeth. The wire twisted together in his fingertips, and Klaus let out a sigh of relief. He placed the strand down and picked up another, worrying the unwound end between his thumb and index finger. Klaus had been at this for hours. His supplies were nearly prepared. A knock sounded at the door. Klaus cursed under his breath. First, the damn wind had blown one of the shutters off of its hinges. Then, Klaus's own body had betrayed him. His stomach had growled viciously around nine o'clock, and he begrudgingly went into the kitchen to prepare his first meal of the day. Now, some blasted person thought themselves worthy enough to interrupt his work. Klaus, swallowing his frustration, trudged over to the door and flung it open with a dismissive, Yes, yes, what do you want? On the other side, braced against the cool October air, stood the village constable. His left boot was dangerously close to kicking one of Klaus's jack-o'-lanterns off of the porch. His arms were folded across his chest, and he looked about as pleased to see Klaus as Klaus was to see him. "'Constable,' Klaus said by way of greeting. "'Dr. Kopwunder,' returned the constable. A silence fell between them for a short while, only broken when Klaus finally decided to prod him. "'Well, what do you need?' "'I'm terribly sorry to disturb you.' 
He tipped his hat as he spoke, and if Klaus didn't know better, he might have actually believed him. I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions. When the constable did not elaborate, Klaus prompted him further. Irritability threatened at the edge of his voice. Yes, yes, go on, then. I'm a very busy man, you know. The constable's lips narrowed into a tight line. Yes. Remind me, doctor, what exactly do you do again? Research, retorted Klaus. Is that what you came here to discuss, my work? No, I suppose it isn't, the constable sighed. Some of the folk around town have been reporting their animals missing. Some livestock, some pets, nothing very big, but people are getting worried. For a moment, he let that hang in the air between them, dead and ominous. When Klaus made no move to speak, he asked, "'You haven't seen anyone suspicious lurking about, have you, doctor?' Klaus did not answer immediately. After a second, the constable puffed up his chest and spoke again. This time his words were slow and drawn out, as though he were speaking to a small child. "'Have you seen anyone odd? Anyone doing anything they should not be doing, doctor?' "'No.' I have not. Right. And you haven't lost any animals yourself? I do not keep animals, so I get all that I need from the market. Right, repeated the constable. For a moment longer, he stood in the doorway of Klaus's musty old cottage. Was that all you needed, constable? Klaus asked with a false sincerity. Yes, uh, yes, I reckon that was all. With that, the constable turned and trudged down the wooden front steps. They creaked under his weight. He headed down the pathway leading to Klaus's door, and when he at last reached the end, he turned and shouted, "'If you see anything odd, you let me know, all right?' "'Very well,' Klaus conceded, and shut the door. Word on the street was that even more animals had gone missing. The days passed, and little creatures all over the village were slipping away into the night. Whoever was doing this only had their eyes set on small animals, so while cows and horses were left to their own devices in barns and stables, townsfolk fussed over their pets, their rabbits, and their poultry. Most recently, one of the cubbies in the Jenkins's chicken coop was missing its resident. Klaus, as usual, was locked away in his workshop and hunched over his desk. With great care, he strained a poultice of herbs into a small copper pot. No sooner than he had brought the mixture to a boil did Klaus remove it from its crucible and tenderly poured it into a waiting syringe. He held the syringe up to the candlelight, flicking it twice to release air bubbles. The solution inside nearly shimmered in the dim and dusty lighting, viscous and deep, dull blue. On the table behind Klaus sat his experiment. A chicken, stripped of most of its feathers but alive, lay strapped down to the rough wood. Next to it sat a similar effigy. It was dry, made of cracked clay, covered in hay and paint and feathers. It was a crude approximation of a chicken, but it would do for Klaus's purposes. He didn't have time to be artistic right now. That could wait until he had made his breakthrough. The effigy lay lame and inanimate next to its struggling counterpart, a mockery of life. Klaus approached the table with a syringe in hand. When he'd first begun his research, back when he'd simply used the mice that dwelled in his attic, Klaus had muttered gentle words to encourage his subject, to ease their worrying. Now that his supply of mice had run dry, his patients had run equally so. He had at the time for niceties, and if all went according to plan, there would be no need for them. Klaus's breakthrough was close, he could feel it. Those fools in the university back home had laughed at him, called his work witchcraft. Klaus called it science. With as much tenderness as he cared to provide, Klaus pressed the tip of the syringe against the chicken's bare skin. He dared not plunge it in yet. The timing had to be perfect if he was going to get this right. Using his free hand, Klaus checked on his setup. 
Copper wires, the same ones he had so lovingly laced together himself, connected the live chicken with the effigy. Tubes, as well, placed carefully into the small puncture wounds Klaus had carved into the chicken's skin. Everything was in order. With the syringe still poised at the base of the chicken's neck, his free hand found the handle of his sharpest cleaver. In one singular motion, simultaneously, Klaus brought the blade of the knife down on the chicken's neck and plunged the syringe deep into its flesh. It spasmed for a moment, working that cobalt concoction through its veins. Its eyes blinked on reflex. Klaus placed both the syringe and the cleaver down, and stepped back to watch his experiment unfold. The body of the chicken continued to contort. Small electric jolts rocketed through the copper wires attached to its body, and something thick and smoky clung to the insides of the tubes. It crawled its way along their lengths, the same ethereal blue as the solution. When at last it made contact with the effigy, the thing began to writhe on the table. It jerked in stiff, unnatural movements, jolting violently as it came to life. Its approximation of a beak opened and closed in rapid succession, but no noise came out. Feathers and hay flew as the thing floundered helplessly on the table. Shocked by his own success, Klaus stood with his mouth agape for a moment too long. When at last he had broken himself out of his trance and dove to save his experiment, it was too late. With one final, unnatural lurch, it pitched itself off of the table, shattering on the ground. Neither the pieces of the effigy nor the chicken twitched after that, and Klaus was left to clean up his own mess. The experiment was a success. At last, Klaus had completed his work. He celebrated with chicken for dinner that night. Klaus made a mistake. A terrible, fatal mistake. He knew that now as he held the dog by the collar, watching as his owner came running up the lane at full tilt. The dog wasn't a pretty specimen. It was old and scruffy, mangy. Klaus had snatched it away at night, thinking no one in their right mind would miss such a sorry creature. He'd been wrong. The boy had wailed on him, kicked and shoved him until he wrenched his dog free from Klaus's hands. To his credit, Klaus had fought to hold on, but it was a moot point. He stood, watching with an empty stare as the boy and his dog took off sprinting back towards town. As they disappeared beyond the tree line, Klaus returned indoors. The townspeople worked faster than Klaus had expected. By the time Klaus had filled his syringe and gathered his materials, he could already see their torches marching down the lane. The plan was to make an effigy of himself, but time was far too short for that. Nothing he made now would be usable for his purposes. He'd have to get creative. Klaus peeked outside, eyeing the approaching mob. He would have to be very quick indeed. The tip of his boot made contact with something sturdy. Klaus glanced down. There sat one of his jack-o'-lanterns, mean-mugging the oncoming townsfolk. It would have to do. Quick as he could, Klaus snatched it up and returned indoors. He barely had any time to connect the wires before someone was banging on his door. Resigning to his fate, Klaus scooped up the jack-o'-lantern and syringe and went to greet his visitors. It was, of course, the constable who led the group. He stood poised to knock again and was about to do so as Klaus flung open his door. Ah, he said evenly. Visitors. The crowd howled at this, but the constable silenced them with a wave of his hand. I'm going to ask this only once, doctor. Where are our animals? Klaus lifted his chin, addressing the crowd as he spoke. I would suggest you dig in the backyard, if you'd really wish to know. Whatever the constable said next was lost in the cacophony that arose then. Jeers and screams filled the air as Klaus was pulled off of his porch and into the mob. 
Muddy boots and closed fists made contact with every part of his body, but as Klaus was shoved and pushed and kicked, his only concern was to protect his quarry. He cradled the jack-o'-lantern and syringe in his arms as though they were his child. When, finally, he was shoved to the ground, he took the brunt of the fall with his shoulder. Klaus's apathy only seemed to anger the crowd more. If the constable was attempting to quell the riot, his voice was drowned out by dozens of others. Klaus didn't care either way. One man, a farmer, forced Klaus's face into the mud with the bottom of his boot. Still, Klaus made no move to fight against it. As he felt his frail old bones break under the barrage of violence, he had only one thought. With all the care he could muster, he plunged the syringe into his own wrist. At the same time, the farmer took his spade in hand and drove it between the vertebrae of Klaus's neck. For a split second, he felt searing, white-hot pain. Then, nothing. His head rolled deeper into the crowd, blinking up at furious onlookers. The riot died then and there. An eerie silence fell over the townspeople as they watched Klaus's body spasm on the ground. Then, hesitantly, one by one, they walked away. Gone was the jeering mob from before. Now they walked off in utter silence, disappearing down the lane. Not even the constable stayed to clean up the mess. Not one person saw as Klaus's body stopped spasming, nor did anyone notice when it began again. No eyes watched as a few copper wires still attached to his body sparked with electricity, nor did they see as a viscous, smoggy substance clawed its way through the singular tube stuck in his vein. There was no one to see the long-dead flame relight inside the jack-o'-lantern glowing an ominous blue. A few feet away, Klaus's head lay inanimate in the mud. Its mouth no longer worked open and closed, and its eyes no longer blinked. The jack-o'-lanterns, however, did. I like my marshmallows like I like my reality. Oh, I really don't want to do this. But I guess there's no other way out of it. John? John! What do you think you're doing with that gun? Okay, but seriously, what does the recording mean? I mean, who shot? Oh, hi, Jane. Did we do good science? <sighs> yeah, buddy. Real good. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It was written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Our theme song was composed by Charles Adam Robinson, and our logo designed by Sam Vitale. Our social media manager is Rebecca Tewksbury. Email us directly at zeronullstreet at gmail.com. Visit our socials or support us on Patreon at the link tree in the description below. Rate and review us wherever you get podcasts. Stay, and remember, nothing is real. Hi, it's George. Just wanted to let you guys know that Uncommon Commons has a Patreon. For $1 a month, it gets you access to all of our bonus content, including the common area. Hi there, I'm George. And I don't want to be here. I'm actively dying. How are you doing, George? I'm passively dying, thank you. Huh. For $100 a month, you will be rocketed into the void itself. What mere disassociation could not do, we will do for yeah. you. What is the scariest horror film you've ever seen? Garfield the movie. Interesting. Back <laughs> <No>. it up. <laughs> if I dropped you in Victorian England, you would be the definition of a madman and you'd be in bedlam in five seconds flat.
I would be Sherlock Holmes and I would be solving mysteries. <laughs> Plus, exclusive stories not available anywhere else, like Help Wanted. Thomas laid on his bed for what may have been hours. He had fallen asleep after letting himself get carried away by the pizza. The pizza box was torn and thrown across the room after every ounce of meat and cheese and grease had been leached from it. The television was on. On it, a puppet was telling a group of kids about the number six. Suddenly, the oven caught on fire. A small pizza inside had gone unattended for too long. Thomas released the crank and made for the emergency exit. Before he could lay his hands on the handle, the flames from the oven encircled him. So, click the link in the description and join us today. Stay. And remember, nothing is real.